0: We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hi, this is Cheryl Broderson in studio with... Jasmine Allnut. And we are very excited. I love the person that you're highlighting today yes we're mixing it up a little bit here because as we announced previously
1: i'm going to be moving soon so there's a few people i was like i want to make sure i talk about them before i go yes (laughs) and my mom actually insisted that i talk about marie monson and so that's who we're going to do today and
0: you know what at some point, we're going to be returning to China because Marie Monson uh, oh, yes. was a missionary in China. And when we return to China, we've got a whole list of women from Phyllis Thompson to Ros- That's right. Rosalind Goforth to Lottie Moon, who was considered the first, uh, one of the first oh. American uh, Baptists, actually, mm-hmm. missionaries to um, China. So we've yeah. got quite a few plus, you know. Uh, Jenny, um, who is married to Hudson Taylor, oh Jenny yeah, Taylor. Jenny Taylor, yeah, and, Taylor. and there's mm-hmm. even more. So oh, that's great. We're really excited. I, but when we, by did the way, China, Lottie Moon,
1: sorry, when yes. you mentioned Lottie Moon, um, they they still do the Lottie Moon Christmas offering to this day in the Baptist
0: churches. Like they still do that. Well, that's so that'll be fun. Yeah. Yes, I know. I was just talking to. Them. Well, I wish you were going to be here when we did it. Who knows? Maybe, well, maybe I will. Be, maybe yes. I'll do a guest. Yeah, Lottie yes. Moon appearance. Yes. <laughs> that'd be good. Well, actually, Jasmine has mm-hmm. promised that once she. Figures out her schedule and things settle down. She will be a frequent caller. We're going to Skype her in whenever there we can. There you go.
1: Exactly. There you go. <laughs> All
0: right. So Marie Monson,
1: as Cheryl mentioned, was a missionary to China. She was Norwegian, a Norwegian Lutheran lady. So it's kind of fun. I don't think we've ever done a Norwegian lady on this podcast before.
0: You know what's interesting, though, is the Norwegians were really big on um, missions. Mm, and in fact, they no were really fun. good at um, – they had—the churches in Norway really wanted to relocate the Jews back into the land of Israel.
1: Oh, how cool. And so
0: this was a burden. In fact, they were really, really um, uh, strong figures during World War II with mm. getting the Jews relocated back into and sneaking them back into. They yeah, had a to, underground they yeah. railroad that was going into Israel during World War II. Love it. So uh, the fact that she's a Norwegian Christian in the 1800s is not a— surprise.
1: Yes, exactly, exactly. And so um, she was actually considered the mother of the house churches in Henan, in the Henan province that she mostly was serving. And she was kind of all over the place, but that was her base. And she was actually a major catalyst in the Shantung revival from 1927 to 1936. So that's pretty remarkable. We'll camp out on that uh, probably in the second episode. Well, actually, maybe a little bit in this one, because she was a main uh, key figure in revival in China, even though she was just this modest little woman that nobody knew about. It's pretty cool. Uh, Louis Gosson said, China desperately needed a touch from God in true revival. The land cried out for it. The gospel of Christ had made little headway, and the entire country suffered terribly. Right in the midst of all the misery, God sent this lovely Norwegian Lutheran lady, and the rest is history. So that's what we will be— Hearing about so Marie was born in February of 1878 in Sandviken, Norway. Um, I love the way you mispronounce that. that, but whatever. Just go strong and wrong, okay? <laughs> so we don't know we don't know a whole lot about her early years, but we do know she was studying at a teacher training college in Norway when the Lord called her to missionary service. But this is kind of interesting at that particular time, because this is pre all those like World War II, like Cheryl was mentioning and all of that. And pre-World War I. And pre-World War I. And so at that time, Norway was intensely nationalistic. And that's, you know, actually not unusual. If you study World War I, nationalism was a major, I don't know if you want to say movement, but so many countries in Europe were intensely nationalistic. And that was actually a big catalyst for World War I, that nationalism. And so... um, Plus, since so many Norwegians had been immigrating over to America, there was uh, a lot of social pressure to stay. So, no, you are Norwegian. You will stay here, you know, in the motherland. And so that was kind of the vibe socially. It was not popular to leave, to be an immigrant to America anymore. Also, it was important to be promoting your nation. And so initially, Marie was really hesitant about responding to God's call just, you know, because of where society was at. She kind of agreed like, yes, I'm proud to be Norwegian, all of that sort of a thing. But a family friend uh, was over visiting. Uh, he was a preacher named Tormod Retadal. Remi- and he reminded Marie of the story of Jonah in the Bible and his call to Nineveh and the fact that, of course, we know no, uh, Jonah initially disobeyed. And so Tormud told her, don't be a Jonah Marie. And that really impacted her. That really struck her. So just three days later, after praying on it for a couple of days, three days later, she said, OK, Lord, I surrender to your call for my life, even if it means leaving Norway. And as soon as she was willing and open, then God put China on her heart. And so she prepared to serve with the Norwegian-China mission.
0: Now, what's really interesting about her, because we mentioned that she was Lutheran, but she was in trouble with the Lutherans. Did Mm. you know that? Because she was uh, more open to fellowshipping with all Christians. And they wanted to— hold to a very, you know, strict, like we are Lutherans and, you know, we don't associate with Anglicans or with Baptists Baptists, or with, (laughs) right. And she was really open to anyone who loved Jesus Mm. and who believed the essentials of the Bible. And so she, as we will see as Mm -hmm. we go forward, she really took God at his word. Mm -hmm. And when it said love and be one and unified with the other believers, uh, she really held to that. And that put her in... um, Kind of, uh, what do you say? On you say hot outs? water a little? Oh, yeah, okay. Hot we, water with, with the Lutherans. Lutherans. Interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because we'll see. She connected with a lot of different people. Yes, so. she does.
0: Yeah. I love we that. Did. That's yes. a great.
1: No, no, that's a great point. So uh, she did a year of nurses training and she spent some time in England and then went back home to teach in Norway for a little bit before heading off to China. Just get, get some practical experience and that sort of a thing. Um, but it just so happened that she was supposed to go in 1900 and as... We know, well, Cheryl and I know this. <laughs> Her uh that was when the Boxer Rebellion broke out. It was in the summer of 1900. And so that delayed everything for Marie uh by another year. Finally
0: she was able to go in 1901. And that's really interesting too that she's still willing to go after the Boxer Rebellion that's big. when you know, hundreds of especially Catholic priests, mm-hmm. nuns were murdered. So many people, and and uh, oh gosh, was it seventy or eighty China inland missionary missionaries? The right. uh, missions missionaries were there too, and they which was martyred, amazing because so. they had hadn't been touched. And it was interesting yeah. that um, she's still willing to go. Yeah, because that was very traumatic. Time. Yeah, you might remember way back,
1: guys, when we did Mildred Cable and right. Francesca French. They they were the same, and it was really unusual because actually Mildred was supposed to go with her fiance. Or they were going to get married and go to China. But after the Boxer Rebellion, he bailed, and she still went. So, yeah, it was a real—I mean, that was a real test for a lot of people. Like, Lord, is this year called? You still want me to go? So uh, she was at this time 23 years old. So she heads off for China in 1901, and immediately she was faced with some pretty significant personal trials. Um, Not connected to the boxers in any way, but just some real hard things. (laughs) Uh, Sarah Alexander said, if Marie distinguished herself at all during her first years in China, it was as one of those people for whom everything seemed to go wrong. That was pretty much her early years there. It was like, oh, Marie, she's the one that everything bad happens to. Now, she would have been about 24 when she went, right? 23. 23. Mm -hmm. 24 over there. So only a month after she arrived, she fell down an iron staircase. So you can imagine how brutal that would be. And so she was actually unconscious from her fall for days. And she had a really severe concussion, so bad that the doctor said, I don't want you studying Chinese for two years. It's like, wow, that's pretty gnarly. And so not only that, but then she would have uh, these intense headaches, you know, migraines that were just so debilitating, and that went on for the next six years. And in the middle of all that, shortly after she fell, uh, she contracted malaria for the first time. And so she was just feeling like, God, why am am I even supposed to be here? She was so devastated And she thought, I'm going to die before I can actually do anything for anyone and anything for the Lord, you know? And so she actually said, my heart rebelled because the thing was incomprehensible. And so she was just so almost not mad at the Lord, but just like, no, I, I, you know, I have things I need to do. And then finally, the Lord just brought her to a place of surrender. Like, will you just trust, you know, that I've allowed, that I have a purpose in this. And so she finally yielded to the Lord in it and it's, and he healed her the next day. Wow. Pretty wild. And not only that, but after six years of dealing with headaches, uh, one day the Lord brought to mind that passage in James uh, about prayer for healing in James chapter 5. And so she said, well, I haven't done this yet. So she had the elders come in and pray and anoint her with oil, and she was instantaneously healed from that too. So Marie was starting to realize um, not only that you know God answered prayer, but also that God wanted to accomplish his will for her life in his way in his timing. And so she was beginning to yield, you know, a process as we're gonna see. I mean, she was a very yielded woman by the end of her life to the Lord's plans and purposes, but it started here in these early hard lessons. And these lessons really came in good stead actually during these early years. Um, Marie had always assumed God wanted her to be a teacher because she had done teacher training. She'd spent time in Norway beforehand, prepping prepping and teaching. Uh, But every time she was about to start a new assignment, She would be floored with another uh, bout of malaria, you know, because that's a recurring thing. And it kept happening every time. So she would have to decline or postpone to the following school year. And, you know, with school, you're on a system. You can't just like come in and out all the time, you know. So she would just have to completely withdraw herself from the position. And so she started to pray and think like, okay, Lord, you're teaching me about yielding. Do you have other plans for me here beyond what I thought I was supposed to do? So she moved to the Honan province where the climate was better, um, and that did help her somewhat. But the people's hearts were hardened to the gospel there. They were very suspicious and uh, hateful towards foreigners during this time. You know, we're still dealing with the aftereffects of the Boxer Rebellion. So there's a lot of that suspicion going on with foreigners. And so Marie began to pray. And I love it. One of her biographers said she would start each day with the assurance that God had called her to declare the gospel no matter how cold or resistant the people might be. And so she figured, you know what? I'm not responsible for the results. I'm just called to pray and share the gospel. And so she just faithfully kept doing that, and slowly but surely, a few people began to trickle in and get saved, and Marie began to teach them to pray, to claim God's promises. There was one particular Chinese woman who had this really straightforward childlike faith And um, she would pray for the most unbelievable things. Marie would hear these prayers and be like, oh, my gosh, there's no way. God, come on. But God would, you know, give her what she asked every single time. And it was such a rebuke to Marie, and it really challenged her. And Marie admitted that she had—she said, I have more doubts about my prayers than uh, prayer requests than faith. And she said, I was an unbelieving believer (laughs) until this woman's faith just challenged her. And so there were, you know, that was a big stepping stone for Marie in the life of faith. And then she began to have these other experiences um, and even miracles that really built her faith and confidence in God's promises and prayer. And she recorded several of these in a little book called A Present Help, which I have right here. Which
0: is a great book. Now, we gave that out at one of our retreats. Mm -hmm. We actually had it reprinted, and I think we still have some. Must be. This was just a few years ago. Yeah, it's such a fantastic book because what you realize is it's the genesis of Marie, like you're talking about, where she learned to pray, to claim a promise from the Bible, and then just watch how the Lord fulfilled it. So Mm -hmm. the book is like one testimony— after another of answered prayer, mm-hmm. you have a scripture that the Lord gave her in you know, saying, look, I'm going to answer it, to yep. this scripture, and she would stand on the promises. In fact, the first time we reprinted that book is we had a retreat on standing on the promises. Mm-hmm. And that book so shows women and emphasizes mm-hmm. the how to yes. stand on the promises of yes.
1: God. Yes, very practical. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, she's just a simple one. She's not like, you know, I don't know, sometimes we talk about this all the time. These people aren't inaccessible. Like, oh, these giants of the yeah. faith, we could never be like them. It's like, no, she's just a normal normal little lady who yes. just prayed and believed. And, so. and
0: some of the answers are, are so simple and sweet. Yeah, And I yeah, think some that's of it is what simple. she saw, too, is when she prayed, her eyes were open to see God work. Yes, exactly. And, and I think, like, we pray, but we don't keep our eyes open to see mm-hmm. God work. And so that's when great the point. answers come— We don't really realize, oh, wait, I prayed about this. This Mm. is an answer to my prayer. But she really was like looking like, okay, so aware this is God answering and maybe answering it in this way Mm. or answering it in that way, because she was open to the fact that his ways are not our ways. Amen. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And you really that really comes out in the book. So I'll put that. Don't worry, everyone. I'll post that so you can check it out and find it. A lot of her stories in the early part of this book deal with issues they had with uh, brigands and bandits. Um, they were roaming all over the countryside during this time. It's as, something that Gladys Elward also Yes. With. Yeah. Disillusioned soldiers as well that were or disgruntled, not disillusioned. They were like disgruntled because they hadn't been paid. And so they're just, you know, um, robbing people. It was just a really kind of chaotic time uh, in China. And so travelers would be robbed all the time on the streets um, or they would disappear completely. Just it was just crazy. It was kind of scary. And so Marie tells all these stories of God's protection and safe guidance as she was traveling and ministering. Um, And so just, you know, a couple of these stories include uh, one time she was on a journey through this dangerous area and she felt a bullet whiz over her head. And incredibly, somehow she just was filled with the peace of God and kept going. She didn't even look around or tell everyone, look out, everybody, you know, everybody that was with her. Uh, she just kept going. And it's interesting, years later, like years, she didn't even remember when. Um, the young man who was responsible for that shot walked 70 miles to meet Marie at her station and apologize for wanting to kill her um, because he had apparently become a Christian and he was wow. so convicted about that one wow. time wow. years earlier. So cool. And she has all these other stories about, you know, being held at gunpoint and then inexplicably released as she prayed for God's protection because she would she would cite those passages and she often referred to Like the story of Elijah and his servant, you know, when uh, the servant's eyes are open to see the chariots on the hillside, or just the thought of just God being a wall or a fire um, protecting his people. Um, There's, you know, stories of her serving tea and food to a soldier who was looting the village. Like, oh, why don't you come in? You probably haven't had time to eat as he's out like pillaging (laughs) in this town. And he was just so touched. That he made sure that nobody came near the mission station, but that you guys are good people. I'll make sure you're protected.
0: In other words, everything she did was so dangerous, but she had the peace of God and she prayed Absolutely. and sought the Lord. Um, the other thing, too, is, you know, to mention, I mean, you're probably picking this up, but she never got married. Yes. I mean, she chose a life of singleness mm-hmm. Which could be China. dangerous. My gosh. Very dangerous yeah. to serve the Lord. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, one of my favorite stories was uh, about a time when she was at an outstation teaching Bible classes, and she heard about some political unrest going on back at her main station. Um, and this was one of those instances where there was an army general who couldn't pay his soldiers. So he said, Well, just go loot the town during the night, and that'll be your paycheck, basically. It's just so crazy, right? We would never think <laughs> in, our, in our world that that would happen. But uh, so Marie heard this. She rushes back to the station, they made everything secure. Um, and surprisingly, they could hear looting and pillaging going on all over the city. You know, people are screaming, shots are being fired, but no soldiers came near the mission compound. Instead, a whole bunch of their neighbors came rushing in seeking refuge. And of course, this was an opportunity for the, for the believers to share the gospel with them. And then the next morning, even more neighbors came over and said, hey, next time something happens in our town, can we come and get shelter You know, from you, a uh, refuge? And they said, because you have protection. And Marie was like, what What protection? What are you talking about? Well, apparently all of these neighbors from their homes had looked out at the mission compound and they saw these uh, tall, uh, foreign-looking soldiers with shining faces standing all around the compound, protecting it, like stationed there. And of course, Marie knew we have no soldiers here. Those are angels. And so it was so cool just how the Lord had protected and made a huge witness to the neighborhood.
0: Now, the first book that she wrote was called We Are Escaped, and we didn't mention this earlier. Mm. I didn't know if you were going to. Go that when she was en route to China, her boat was taken by pirates. Oh, that's... And she was 23. Was oh, that was... Because yeah, it says on. uh, 1929. Yes, but she went in 1903. Oh, right. that's right. Yeah. That's right. I'll get to but, that. That's oh, the biggest
1: story. Yes. Oh, is it?
0: <laughs> I can't wait for that one. I'm like, yes. we're going to no, talk about you, this yes. one. But... Um,
1: Like I said, one of the most remarkable ways that the Lord used Marie was in fostering revival. And
0: again, you're seeing some of these steps of faith and and, and answers to prayer that would all help pave the way for this. And she was, I don't know if you're going to say this, she was very much against hype or feeling that people were being manipulated into the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And so she just presented a very simple gospel. And they said she wasn't dynamic. In fact, because um, she was credited with this revival, people would come to see her and be like, that's it. This little, yeah, woman yeah, what the heck? With this <laughs> quiet voice that you'd have to lean into to hear. Mm-hmm.
1: I love that about her. Yeah. No, definitely. And we're going to see that. There's even testimonies of people talking about how, you know, just, yeah, how unassuming. Unimpressive. Yes, so unassuming, unimpressive. Right. unassuming she was. So what happened was the first little glimpse of this was actually in 1907 because a revival broke out in Korea. And Marie heard about this. And she was so inspired that she prayed that God would provide for her to travel to Korea to catch that spirit of revival. But the Lord said to her, instead, what you want through that journey, you may be given here where you are in answer to prayer. Mm. Like, Marie, you don't have to go to Korea Mm. to catch something. I'm going to do it here. I love that. And so with that word, she resolved to pray until revival came to her life and ministry there. Um, But it's interesting because she said the first time that she purposed to start specifically praying for revival, okay, I'm going to do it. uh, She said she went to go to her her little corner to pray And suddenly she had this sensation of like a a boa constrictor strangling her. And so she just began to speak the name of Jesus until finally she was loosed or freed. And in that moment, she realized, wow, this is serious business. It really caused her to realize how serious prayer is. And of course, spiritual warfare. What a big deal that was, that this was not going to be a walk in the park and we just have all these sing-songy prayer meetings. (laughs) So she said, that experience helped me to endure through the almost 20 years which were to pass before the first small beginnings of revival were visible, truly God works unhurriedly. And so as those 20 years went by, Marie learned a lot about prayer, of course, but also the importance of knowing and teaching the word of God in preparation for revival. And God gave her a lot of little glimpses of what he was going to do. Um, One day, she was at a particularly powerful prayer meeting with other missionaries, I believe, or Chinese believers. I'm not sure who was there, but uh, everybody who was present really felt that the Lord had been with them and that he was going to answer. What He's like, man, the Lord is going to work through this prayer meeting. Marie actually called it the greatest day of her missionary life. Mm. So this was just a you know one of those moments um, that she would always look back on, kind of hang her hat on, like, okay, Lord, you are doing a work. And so con- kind of connected to this, a couple days later— uh, after this amazing prayer meeting, Marie's teaching um, a class to unbelieving Chinese women, and they were actually talking about infanticide, and that was mm. a big problem there. Mm-hmm. As many people probably know, um, you know, historically, China has— uh,
0: Preferred boys. Preferred
1: boys. That's a nice way of saying it. Exactly. And so they would practice infanticide or abortion to get rid of
0: the girls. Or even selling their little girls.
1: Yes, or that too. Exactly. And so all of a sudden, you know, she's just teaching. And again, remember, these women are not believers. These women started confessing how many of their babies, how many of their baby girls they had killed. Oh, my goodness. I know. And Maria's just in shock. I mean, not only because, you know, of the numbers of girls that had been murdered, but also the fact that these women were willing to confess this. I mean, that was unheard of in Chinese culture. You know, uh, it's- Honor-shame. Honor-shame, exactly. And so they're not going to want to talk about You know, these skeletons in the closet, these things they've done, you know, that they're so embarrassed by. It was so unusual. In fact, after the class, the women lined up to basically talk to Marie and just tell them basically and burden themselves of all of these things they had done. And Marie was speechless. And so she actually wrote of one lady who came and told her, she said, there was hardly time to pray. I only sighed to the Lord out of deep anguish and a God-given compassion for this woman who had grown up in heathendom. When she finished her confess- confession, she rose, and I saw eternal life and light shining in her eyes and the peace of God radiating from the face wow. that had looked so weary and worn before. She was saved without human help. And so I love that. And that kind of goes to your point, and well, it'll keep coming up, about how unassuming Marie was and how she didn't want this to ever be about her, and she didn't want it to be some sensational, weird thing. It was about the Lord. And so she was more than willing to say... God saved her. I didn't do anything. I was just there as a sounding board. I'm not absolving her sins. It was none of that. She just needed to get it out with the Lord. And so this woman just got miraculously saved. So there's all of this fruit, and she recognized it as pointing back to that day of prayer just two days earlier. And it was a sign as well, uh, as we're going to see, of things to come. So uh, in 1926, 29, sorry, Marie and many other missionaries had a retreat in Chafu, which is in the Shantung province. Chifu. Chifu? Oh, thank you. Chifu. Chifu. You know what?
0: Because that's, um, Chifu is famous for a Christian school that was Mm. there. That Ruth, is that the boys' war? In the boys' war, yes. But it's also um, Ruth, Graham, uh Ruth Bell Graham went to school at Chifu. Oh my gosh. So a lot of the missionary kids went to school at Chifu. Oh, I think Isabel coon's kids went there too. Probably. So, so okay.
1: Yes. Ooh, fun. All right. Ben, fun fact. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I knew that was familiar, but I forgot yeah. why. <laughs> okay. So Chifu, uh, they went to a retreat there. Uh, well, it was actually because of political unrest. They just said, why don't all the missionaries come to Chifu? It's safe here and, and that's just why they had take the a children's break. school there. Yeah, they're exactly. Um, But, you know, it's neat because even though it seemed like they all were just trying to get out of a, you know, a a politically volatile situation, it actually seemed like it was orchestrated by the Lord because all of these missionaries, they gather together and a bunch of Chinese Christians were there as well. And they start to find out that that many, like Marie, had been praying for revival. They'd all been really burdened recently, like, oh, gosh, we really need to be praying for a revival here. And so it's so neat. It's like the Lord was preparing the hearts of his people— and bringing them into kind of a place of like-mindedness before actually sending his spirit out in this really unique way. So I, I just kind of thought that was so neat. What looked like, oh gosh, we're all just trying to hurry and flee and um, get out of a bad situation ended up being a totally God-ordained, what we would call a divine appointment. And so this is when that revival began was at this, at this uh, retreat in Chifu. And so Marie was uh, actually—what happened was Marie was invited to share her testimony and pray with some American Southern Baptists. There we go. Like you were saying, her willingness to just reach out and not just stay with the Lutherans only. She wanted to, you know, just be part of the larger body of Christ, right? Everybody—we're all in this together. And so she was asked to come and just uh, share with these American Southern Baptists for—and specifically what they were gathering for was to pray for— uh, a fellow missionary's eyesight um, to be healed. This woman had been really going through it. And so they said, "Hey, well, Marie, will you come share with us? and then we'll just have a time of prayer together for our, our missionary friend. And I can't remember who the lady was. I don't know if it's in my notes, but um, as they prayed, Marie noticed some of them uh, were leaving this is really cool to me. Some of them were leaving the circle to put things right between themselves, which was this totally spontaneous response. There's repentance, reconciliation happening. Remember, they're there to pray for this lady. But over the course of the prayer time, people were getting convicted like, man, I've been holding a grudge against this person and or there's tension between us. We need to make this right. It's just kind of like what happened with those Chinese women back in Honan, where they suddenly felt like we need to confess that we've been killing our babies. You know, so the Lord is doing just this remarkable work of, you know, bringing this stuff to light, you know, not in a weird sensational way, but in, in to bring healing and reconciliation so there could be unity. And so I just, I love that. I think sometimes, and I just want to mention this, I think sometimes, and this was what was challenging me as I was kind of restudying her life. We we pray for revival and things like that. But, you know, with that comes sometimes a need to reconcile and, you know, repent, deal with sin. Sometimes we want, you know, God to work, but we haven't dealt with sin in our lives and in our hearts. I was really convicted about that. So I thought that was a pretty
0: remarkable, as we're going to see, characteristic here. Um, I also read that she Realized that a lot of the missionaries she worked with were not born again. Mm -hmm. So you're doing that too. Yes. It's so
1: crazy, these things that you're like, didn't everybody just know this? Yes. So um, after the meeting, uh, they actually found out that while they were praying, a separate group of Chinese believers on a different part of the property had also been feeling a conviction of sin. And so Marie said that was the first small beginning of a revival, which a few years later grew into the largest revival any one mission in China had experienced. And as kind of a side note, that missionary's eyesight was healed. (laughs) That ended up being kind of like a side note to all of the more Mm -hmm. remarkable things the Lord was going to do. And so once all these missionaries returned to their stations, there was this renewed, earnest commitment to prayer, like, okay, Lord, what do you want to do? We really want to make this a priority. And so uh, her biographer said, even itinerant evangelism was set aside both by missionaries and Chinese evangelists in order to make room for this ministry, which had been so neglected and was so essential. Prayer in oneness of mind for a revival brought by the Holy Spirit, and so that also stood out to me as well. I mean, the fact that they were like they were, you know, putting aside evangelism, which is a wonderful thing, but realizing, you know, what we need to pray first. We're doing a we're doing a lot of things for the Lord, and we haven't made prayer a priority. And so that, as we're going to see, had some pretty remarkable results. And so,
0: is this where we're going to
1: take? This a break? would be a good place to probably break until the next. Yes, next little bit. Because there's still so much.
0: Oh, yes. We'll get to 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 that story right right now, actually. And you know what's really exciting is that. Again, she just had open eyes and began to pray about everything. I think Mm -hmm. of Philippians chapter four, where Paul said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication Mm. with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Amen. And that's what you see throughout her life. But we're going to come back with part two. Yes, And as you said, it's going to get really exciting. Yes. (laughs) So please come back next week because Jasmine is going to tell you more. She can't give the complete... Overview. <laughs> I mean, it'll be an overview, but she can't give you like all the details. So we'll yes. probably recommend that you look her up. Yes, yourself definitely. Because should. there's so much more. We're just touching the service. Yes. But again, we would love to hear that you like us. So please like us on whatever mm-hmm. uh, way that you listen to mm-hmm. this Um and please join us next week. Again, you can get in touch with us at graciouswords.com and find the link WWK. Until next week, this is Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine. Saying thanks for joining us. Yeah, come back. Well, please do. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Olmet. For more information on Cheryl, visit cherylbroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk@cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Brodersen and Jasmine Allnut.